Colossians chapter 1. Welcome to everyone here who has joined us. We had a little technical issue. We got that taken care of. Hopefully it stays okay. Um, those of you on live stream can already see the slides. Those here cannot if the PowerPoint goes out. So we're going to be real careful with that. All right, we're going to look in Colossians chapter 1 and in verse 16. Now we're going to, what we're doing is with this series we're building somewhere with this entire um, uh, the journey that we're sort of taking through the universe here and not next week because of Thanksgiving but the following week after that then we will be concluding this series and what is the key to the universe so we're building all of this try to take take in what the Lord has for us and then it will all be concluded um, on the next Wednesday night that we meet. Now, recap really quickly. During the first week of the series, we looked at how the Creator is greater than His creation. We saw that. We saw how great God was, how big God was, and how small man is. We looked at some of the agreements that the Big Bang theorist and the uh, uh, even evolutionists, Darwinists, other people like that have with intelligent design or creationists. And that was, we saw how everyone believes that there was a beginning, and then the question is, well, what happened at the beginning? We also looked at that whoever started it had to have unlimited power, must have been greater than the universe itself. And then we saw from the very beginning that light is the building block of the universe. And we looked at how from, uh, uh, from sound we actually get light as well. So that's a quick recap of some of the things we've gone over during the past two weeks. Now we discussed... <coughs> <clears throat> several things leading up to where we are, but there's so much more that we obviously we don't have time to discuss as we go through this. There's so much. So my encouragement to people is always start digging yourself. And what you'll do is you'll find the more we dig into this, we'll find incredible, incredible evidence of a creator. So much so that we're going to see some of the testimonies of people who don't believe in God, but they cannot help but acknowledge intelligent there's some type of intelligent design there's a great design there's a what is this but there's no purpose but what is it you know so we're going to look through that um, but let's take a look here first in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 it says for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth visible and invisible whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers all things were created by him and for him. And that statement right there, they were created by him. Why? They were created for him. That's very, very important. Now let's look in verse 17, and this is something I want you to remember as we look through this uh, lesson today. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. All things are held into place. So that's very, very important to remember as we look at this. The Bible does not mince words when it comes to the creation of man. doesn't. And it's interesting that the people who God used to pen the words of the scriptures, they never felt this great need to prove to people. No, they stated it as fact. So we have to be very, very mindful of that. We don't need to mince words and be real careful what we say when it comes to creation because the Bible doesn't do that either. Now, if you look up intelligent design, I don't have Google boycotting. I've got DuckDuckGo. There you go. And if you type that in, the first thing that's going to come up is these words. Intelligent, intelligent design is very different from science. Though the idea, the idea deals with phenomena in the natural world, research in this area does not bear any of the other hallmarks of science. 
and that is like the mission statement of the world, the secular world when it comes to intelligent design. And what we're going to do is we're not going to delve into a lot of intelligent design right now, and we're not going to delve into evolution right now. We'll save that for another series at another time because, oh my goodness, evolution, if you get into evolution and you follow the trail, I'll just say this and then we'll move on. Evolution in um, practice is the Holocaust, is what it is. It's I'm the survival of the fittest. I am better than you. I can usurp my authority over you. I can dominate you. That's what evolution is. And when you look at Nazi Germany and uh, their prominent belief in that, not just believing in it, but acting in it, um, just absolute, just terrifying to see when you put those, th those uh, thoughts into action. Now, the Bible, it's important to remember, the Bible is scientific. The definition of science is knowledge or a system of knowledge covering general truths or the operation of general laws, especially as obtained and tested through scientific method. So a testing of these. We're not talking about theories here. Obviously, we have theories about things because we just don't know. We weren't there. So what we need, and we'll talk about this some more in the next lesson, we need we look at evidence, okay? You have, what's the difference between evidence and proof? And we'll get into that later. But it's important to remember that the definition of science, what is science? Science is testing stuff over and over again. Now, and then finding what the truth is. Now, Stephen C. Meyer, he is um, a, a well-renowned doctor of philosophy of science and a former geophysicist. He noted something a couple of years ago. He was on this podcast and he was talking to this guy. And he was talking about one of the problems with Darwinism or evolution. And he said every single year in England or in Europe, these other different places, these prominent evolutionists will meet to discuss the Darwinian problem. Why is that? Because the, the theory that Darwin set forth about the origin of man has so many holes in it, it's a leaking like a sieve. At that time, they thought the cell was a blob. And that was it. They could not see any deeper. They could not see any design in that. So he looks at this and he says, okay, we see these difference, these difference in the species, these different types of birds. We call them Darwin's finches. There you go. So Darwin's finches. And, um, but then what he did is he took a, a little bit of a difference in a kind and he said, that's the proof that we have kinds changing. Okay? So you're never going to have an elephant be a dog. You're just not going to have that. You're not going to have a monkey be a man. You're not going to have a change in kind, and hence you don't have the Mincy Link. But we'll get into that later. But this, I thought it was interesting to note that they meet every single year to talk about the problem. And the problem is how do we adapt our science to meet the discoveries that are coming out? And that's a real problem um, with them. The more man looks... The more discoveries that man makes, the more man sees, the more it is unmistakable that there is a fingerprint on the whole of creation. Now, it's important to remember this. Creation is not different from science. Just uh, the opposite of what I was told when I started teaching at the Discovery Center. You can't talk about creation because that's not science. Creation is not different than science. Science points to a creator. Even Albert Einstein and people who are honest about it, they even uh, noted so themselves. Now consider what modern science says. Okay, this is what modern science says. Modern science says a man is not a man if he doesn't want to be. Okay, we're having scientists actually have conversations about that. A woman's not a woman if she doesn't want to be. 
this baby in a mother's womb is not really a life. That's not a baby in a mother's womb. But we find a little bit of ice on the moon and oh my goodness, we've got life on the moon. Okay, so you see what happens is, is science has become politicized in this day and age. And we talked about before, you look at the, the government overreach with science, okay? So science has become politicized. What we have to do is we have to go back to testing um, and not what, um, uh, not just what obviously what the government says. So we need to remember that modern science oftentimes as well uh, attacks any mention or consideration of a creator. Now, many of you probably know who Richard Dawkins is. Richard Dawkins is someone who is famous for hating someone who he does not believe to exist. So it's like, okay, there is no God. Now let me tell you about God. And he says all these vile, horrible things about God, but he doesn't believe that he exists. This is one thing he said. He said, faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Painting with a broad brush there. Faith is belief in, in spite of, perhaps even because of the lack of evidence. So you cannot have faith and evidence because you have a lack of evidence. That's what Richard Dawkins thinks about Christians and Christian scientists, creationists, people who are not Christians who are creationist scientists. Um, that's what he thinks about them. He's famous for hating someone who he does not believe to exist. Now this is very important. We need to note this before we move on. Faith and evidence are not the opposites. They are not the opposites. In fact, faith is built upon evidence. It's built upon evidence. Now you have a guy here doing something that I would never do, even though that's really cool. He's jumping out of an airplane there. I don't know if his dog's very happy about it. His dog probably likes it. And we'll never know. So he's jumping out. Well, this little thing right there, his little ripcord pulley that he pulls out, those things run about $26, $35. He has faith in that little ring that he's going to pull and that parachute's going to come open. Each and every person has faith in something. You have to have faith in something. And then what happens is, why do you have faith in something? Because you see evidence of it over and over and over again, and that builds your faith in that, okay? Richard Dawkins has faith that, he'll, faith that he'll wake up every morning. He has faith that when he gets on an elevator, it's gonna work. He has faith that the sun's gonna rise and falls. He has faith that his college professors were telling him the truth. Why does he do that? He, you have faith in everything because you look at the evidence. To him, he believes he has looked at the evidence and that has built his faith. You can go through the miracles of Christ. People saw that. There's evidence, the scriptures, the writing, the, um, uh, the accounts of Jesus. We have evidence of that and that builds faith. So faith and ex uh, 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 experience um, and evidence help build faith. So it's important to remember, faith is built upon evidence. And whenever we, we have to remember that, that those two are not the polar opposite. Now, Dawkins would have you believe that the creator is a figment of your imagination. But it's interesting because whenever you find out what Richard Dawkins believe, believes, it's like interesting. So you don't know, so I don't know. So what do you believe? You're very dogmatic of what I believe. I'm a dummy that doesn't know anything and I only believe this because there's a lack. I don't have any evidence. But what do you believe? And it's always interesting whenever you start to ask about that. He was actually asked about where did we come from? Dawkins was asked this. And he said, I don't know, nor does anyone else. Okay, once again, that's the thing. I don't know, so you don't know. When pressed for an answer, Dawkins highlighted the remarkable evidence of design in all of nature. 
Okay? Then, even stating that life could have come from a higher being or beings. God, however, was not a possibility. Okay? So we could have, there is, there absolutely, there's a design on the universe. We don't know what it is, but God, however, there is no possibility of that. Now, wait a minute. That sounds, odd. We, we agree on several things about the beginning of the universe, but it had to have been someone other than God. Why is that? Because God is righteous and holy and he holds uh, uh, people accountable for their actions and there's a heaven and there's hell. You can't get into any of that stuff at all. It has to be something that is scientific like aliens, which doesn't make much sense. Now, a prominent Darwinist, Michael Ruse, he said that a very popular theory amongst Darwinism is that we arrived as a molecule on the back of crystals. Yes, flying through, the, flying through space. Now, we're going to look at uh, how that's absolutely possible, impossible here in just a minute. Just in your brain, you go, that's impossible. But we're going to look at some of the other stuff with, with the earth and all. I think it's pretty incredible. But we're flying through space on the back of this crystal, and we land all down in this mud, and then all the, the molecules and proteins and the essential, everything was just perfect for man to form, and then all of a sudden we get life from that, and it's just incredible. Well, when he was pressed about that, he said, well, wait a minute. He was asked, what put the molecule on the back of the crystals? Well, this was his answer. A higher being or beings placed it on the back of the crystal, planted the crystal, and then life comes from that. So I had to sneak this in again because it's Star Wars and it's old school, but that's science fiction stuff. So you're telling me God's not real. There's no way. But when you ask these people who are famous not for so much for their science, but more famous for their uh, the hating on God, you ask them, what do you believe? So much of their stuff lines up with intelligent design, but you take God away and you put, put a faceless, soulless alien in that place, and now, wow. And they ask Michael Ruse about that. You can see the interview, and his face lights up. This, this is an incredible, this, listen to this theory. And then he goes on about it, and it's like, wait a minute. Okay, so it's more likely that we are put on the back of a crystal and planted. It just doesn't, when you ask them, it doesn't make any sense just to your brain when you think about it. The common theme, though, amongst these theorists is that we are a mistake. Humans are a mistake, okay? Random numbers thrown into a blender, no design, and more importantly, no purpose. Now, are we really a bunch of random numbers in a slot machine rolled out until finally, boom, something happens from nothing and all of a sudden we're here. So let's put a, things, a couple of things into perspective with a couple of numbers here. When I say a couple of numbers, I really mean tons of numbers. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at what is the mathematical probability that we are here. Now everyone knows what this is. This is a pair of dice. Some of you know more than others what this is. But we're not going to get into that right now. Not going to ask for a show of hands. So when you look at a die, a die represents chance, okay? So if we have a die, you roll a six, you've got a one in six chance to roll a six. Well, suppose you did that six times. Then you would have a one in 36 chance to roll it as you start to go on, if you were to roll it again. So we look at that, it starts to increase rapidly, okay? If I'm to roll a six now, boom, there's a six. I got to roll a second six. Now that increases six times, me trying to roll that second six. How am I going to do that? So people go there and they think they're, it's the luck of the draw and all that stuff at the casinos. It's really not. It's just they know by, basically by chance 
they're pretty safe. That's why they take in money and other people lose money. Now, if you look at this and we said, okay, I'm going to get uh, uh, one die out here, and you're going to roll that 70 times, and you're going to get a six every single time you roll that. Every single time you roll it is a six. No loaded die. Some of you know what that is as well. No loaded die. You're going to roll that out. You're going to get a six every single time. It's very interesting. What that shows us is that mathematically you have a 1 in 10 to the 55th power chance of rolling a 6 70 times. This is what it looks like. That's your chances. My suggestion to you would be go get a lottery ticket. No, I'm just joking. You're not going to. You have a better chance of winning the lottery than this. I always like how people say, I'm waiting for the lottery to get big before I play it. And it's like, don't you realize the higher the lottery, the higher the money goes, the less likely you are to get it. Anyways, we're not going to get into all that stuff. So um, I'm just telling you what Chad told me. So that's all I'm saying. We're going to move on. We're going to move on. So <laughs> yes, exactly. He would tithe. So it's good. So, um, so if you were to do that, 1 in 10 to the 55th power, if you were to roll mathematically, what mathematicians tell us, and this is a popular study, they tell us that for you to roll a 6 70 times in a row, it would take you 100 trillion, 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 trillion years to do that. Mathematically, to roll a six 70 times in a row. And I know some of you are going to be like, all right, I'm going to get into the house and start rolling. Oh, you know, and you're going to prove me wrong. No, you can try that. That's how long, if you live that long, maybe in eternity you can keep rolling it. And you are going to try to figure out how can I roll this. That's how long, mathematically, chance-wise, it would take you to roll that. Now, why is that so important? The reason why, when we sort of put that into perspective, why it's so important is when you look at the expansion rate of the universe, there's a 1 in 10 to the 55th power chance that it actually happened and it sustained itself. The fact that the universe, how the universe is held together is on such a fine needle point that this is a number they threw out that said we're going to try to describe how delicately balanced the universe hangs and one digit off and everything changes, okay? The chance of the expansion rate of the universe being so finely tuned is one in 10 to the 55th power chance. We have to note this, the in, it's very important. The instant the universe came into existence, every calculation down to the single digit had to be perfect, had to be perfect. One of the problems with evolution is it's, well, it's going along and it's adapting and it's doing all this stuff. And we, we can look in the universe and we can see things in action. But how we see stuff in action does not mean how it came to be. A flashlight, we see how the, I turn a flashlight on, we see how it works. How that flashlight operates is not how that flashlight came into being. That's the problem with the Big Bang theories. We, we can observe stuff and go, that's how it happened. No, it's not happened. It had to be absolutely perfect down to the digit for it to sustain itself. When you look across the cosmos, all the stars out there, the periodic table, all of these each having their own equation, okay? Down to the neutrons, the atoms, all the way over to the, the, the galaxies, the stars, other things we've talked about, all of those require separate incredible equations to be able to sustain, to come from nothing. And if even a digit is wrong on those, it doesn't happen. It collapses. The instant creation happened had to be perfect. And we look at an all-powerful, perfect God who does that. 
as man, we cannot even calculate all of that. When you look at the laws, famous laws, like the first and second law of thermodynamics, meaning that energy can never be destroyed. It can only move from one thing to another. And then how your cup of coffee um, is, uh, proves the second law of thermodynamics. You take a cup of coffee and you set it out and it goes cold. That's energy dispersing. It's moving. It's not going to keep getting hotter. It has to have energy uh, put into that. And where does all the energy come from? It comes from when God said, let there be light. So we see all the laws of the universe. Those could not um, be if they were not calculated perfectly. Elemental forces, gravity, um, our proton to neutron ratio, we're not going to go in that, photon to baryon ratio, nuclear force, electromagnetic force, all of those things requiring a separate equation that had to have been perfect from the very inception, the very, the perfect finite point that they came into being, it had to be perfect. So you have a famous, uh, a famous um, uh, Paul Dark, what did he, when was he, he was in the 1920s, he was an English theoretical physicist. One thing he said, Paul Dirac said, he said, the fundamental laws necessary for the mathematical treatment of a large part of physics and the whole of chemistry are thus completely known. And the difficulty lies only in the fact that application of these laws lead to equations that are too complex to be solved. And one thing that uh, Dirac said is he said, in other statements he talked about God, he said, you cannot look at these equations and not go, oh my goodness, there's someone who designed this. What we can do is we can observe God's creation. What, this is what he's saying. We can observe God's creation. We cannot understand it. We can't fully understand it. You have to be okay with that. We can't understand how God applies these things. We see them, we know them, but we, when it comes to applying those laws to action and emotion, it's too much. We cannot, mental, our mental capacity is not that to where we can understand that. So when you take all of those, I have one to 10 to the 55th power, and we can go through all these numbers that are way too high for us to fully comprehend. But if you take all of those in the universe and you begin to stack them, boom, boom, one on top of the other, what you will find is, is it'll be one and an infinite amount. You know what that means? It's impossible. When you, get, when you get the number, that's too, it's too much. So mathematically, we should not be here. We should not be here. It is impossible mathematically for us to be here. And when you look at that across the cosmos, across the, uh, uh, the, the universe, the known universe, and the unknown universe, the entire universe, we absolutely should not be here. Now, let's take a look real quick at some of the popular theories for random chance, okay? So I, what I wanted to do there is I wanted to establish very quickly that mathematically it's impossible for us to be here, okay? So we know that. You can't deny that. But how do people try to explain that away? A couple things that you'll see. You'll see Big Bang theorists, different people will say, if you take a monkey or a socialist, no, I'm just joking. If you take one, one of them and you put them in a room, and they start typing away on a typewriter. They're going crazy. If you leave them in there long enough, they will eventually write Shakespeare. My goodness. Because they've been banging on the keys for so long, eventually, if they have that long, trillions of years to do that, eventually something incredible is going to come out just by chance. So my question to them is always, well, who built the typewriter? Who made the monkey? He's sitting on a chair. Someone had to make the chair. So who put that there? So they're still admitting that someone is involved in the process. 
Okay, someone has to be involved in the process. Another thing, this is a popular one, is what about the multiverse? And that's a really big one. You can see that all the Marvel movies now, we got the multiverse and the, the 20 different Spider-Mans and all that different cool stuff. So, but what they're doing is, is they're actually taking something that's become popular now in Hollywood and they're actually trying to explain away God with it. So when we go over stuff that how do we get rid, how do we uh, get rid of intelligent design. How do we push it aside? Well, what we'll do is we'll just muddy the water with other stuff and go, well, it had to have happened. If it can't happen in our universe, which is infinitely large and we can't even understand how large it is, if even in such a large universe, chance cannot happen, then what we need to do is we need to put an infinite amount of other universes out there. Then that increases our chance. The problem with this theory is what they do is they believe that out there we've got a million other billion other, trillion other different universes. The problem with the theory is it just moves back the process two or three steps. And we're still left with the question, who started it all? Okay, it doesn't change the question. Um, Alan Reitman, uh, Lightman, he attempts to explain away fine tuning here. Why does such fine tuning occur? Cannot be God, obviously. The answer may, uh, uh, and the answer many physicists now believe, the multiverse. Dun, 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 dun. A vast number of universes may exist with many different values of the amount of dark energy. Our particular hat containing zillions of universes. We happen to draw a universe that allowed life. First of all, who drew the universe that allowed life? Because you can keep going back to that. But what we are is we're just zillions and we're just happen to be and the one. So what we have is, is we got this hat full of zillions of universes and you've got all these monkeys typing like crazy people and eventually they're going, it's still the same argument, eventually they're going to write Shakespeare. Just because you have more doesn't change the fundamental question. Now one way to explain this is I can take, is anyone here like bread? Bread? Sourdough bread? Chris has gotten into sourdough. It's incredible. Oh, absolutely amazing. And um, She's gotten into it. I have no idea. It is all rocket science to me, but I eat it, and I can do that, and that is really, really good. So if you look at, uh, at bread, someone makes bread. Suppose this bread represents our universe, and I go, oh, my goodness, that's incredible. This tastes amazing, and eating the universe, and it's so good. And who, my compliments to the chef, who made this bread? Well, no one made the bread. The bread made itself, okay? Obviously, for it to be there, someone had to have there's a cause and effect. Someone had to have started this. Someone had to have made the spread. No one, no one made the bread. Let me tell you why no one made the bread. It's because there are a bunch of other breads out there. And there is a bread machine. And the bread machine makes millions of loaves of bread. And then now what you do is because, because we have a machine that spits out all of these, these incredible loaves of bread, that makes that bread right there not very, not very special because now we have a machine that does it. And now the machine shows us that the bread made itself. That's what it is. There's, the, the question is, who made the machine? That even gets it more complex. Who wrote the instruction to build the machine? Who got the parts? Who put it together? Now, okay, the multiverse means now we have all this chance. Well, who built the machine that's making the multiverse? Who started that process to spit out zillions of universes? It just moves that back and we're still left with the question, once again, who started it all? So we have to be very, very um, uh, mindful of that. It's seen as something that's a new breakthrough. It's not. It's kicking the can down the road and they're still not answering the question, who started it, what started it? Now, what about aliens? Mm -hmm. 
What about aliens? Could we have the little green, green men li uh, living out there? We do know that there are things we cannot see. Angels, fallen angels. We do know that there is a spiritual warfare going on around us. There are things that we do not know, we will not understand or know until we get to heaven. And some stuff we probably, I don't even know if we'll understand after that, depending on what God allows us to know. I don't know. But what about the little green men living on another planet? Now, mathematically, whenever you add in aliens to the possibility, the previous equations we looked over are compounded even more. So mathematically, it's even more impossible to have aliens along with us in a universe because now you've just taken life and you've compounded that, which is a very interesting thing that people who say, no, there is no God, absolutely there must be aliens. Mathematically, it's even more impossible for there to be other alien life forms out there. Um, it's even more uh, uh, mathematically impossible for aliens to exist than it is for us to exist. Now, could God create aliens if he wanted to? Yes, if he wanted to. The creator is greater than his creation. If God wanted to, he could do that. But we don't read about that in our word, in his word that he's given to us. So I'm not worried about it. I like sci-fi stuff, but I don't worry about it. Is there, are they, where are X-Files? Dun, 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 dun. And I'm, worried about, I'm not worried about any of that stuff. I'm not worried about any of that stuff. And I don't think, as a, as a Christian, it's fine to look into stuff. But you have to ask yourself, what is edifying to the Lord? What am I going to spend my entire life studying? Looking for aliens. I'm not actually going to do that because God hasn't given us a blueprint for that in his word. And we'll look at some of that other stuff here in just a second. All right, moving along, let's look at a couple of mysteries of the universe here. And what we're going to do is we're going to jump through these. I've got some cool pictures. We're going to jump through these pretty quick. Now, when we look at mysteries of the universe and just incredible things we look at, uh, mysteries, look at dangers of the universe. Then we're going to look at our earth and how special it is. Can you imagine? We see stuff like this just for a moment. This is two, the two sister galaxies so close to each other. Can you imagine the outer bands? They're actually rotating. In you, you have this one's rotating this way, the other one's rotating. They're rotating against each other counterclockwise and clockwise. What do you think is happening on that outer rim? You've got all, you've got it moving, they're moving towards each other, and you've got these planets that are starting to go like this. You know, can you imagine? what it looks like. Is it in sync or are these planets smashing into each other and it's the greatest fireworks show you could ever imagine if you were there? I don't know. We see stuff like this and we go, that's amazing. We see other pictures of the universe and we're blown away by that. Now consider this. Satan has seen all of this stuff up close and still chose to do his own thing against God. Shows you how powerful pride is. If Satan can see, if Satan can stand before God, if Satan can see his creation, if Satan can look across the heavens and see all that God created and still have pride, it shows you that the, the, the father of all sins, the, the, the sin of pride, is greater than we can possibly imagine. And we have to be careful about that. Satan has seen what we cannot even imagine. And he still, that's one of the things, if, if this person would just marry, if they would just marry the right person, then they would get in church. If this person could only see, if they could only do it, then they would do right. No, no, it's in here. It's all in your heart. You desire to do what is right or you desire yeah. not to do what is right. Not the, if they could just see this, then they would be blown away. No, even the prophets we know coming back, the people coming back from the dead 
uh, would not convince the rich man's brothers. He had Moses and the prophets, you know. So when we, we look at this stuff, absolutely amazing. We, we, man, if I could see that, then I, then I would believe in God. If I could just see heaven, no, doesn't change the heart of man. God's word changes the heart of man. Now, a black hole. Black hole is very, very interesting. The most powerful thing in the universe that God has created that we know of. The black hole will kill you like no other thing possible. I used to think it would be cool if I, before I die, if I'll go in the middle of a black hole and then peek through, see what's in there. And then if it kills me, then I'll be fine. You know, until I started reading about how the, the millions of miles an hour you get as you get going closer to it and then the event horizon, which literally shreds matter. So it'd be like someone putting you through a shredder no, thank you. Um, on a molecular level, I would not want to deal with that. So, um, but it's still better than dying by sharks. That's still the worst. I would not want to do that. little phobia of mine. All right, let's move on. So we have the black hole. Um, there are two types of black holes. The stellar black hole. This is typically believed to come from an exploding star is what they believe that comes from. And that's uh, roughly 20 to 48 uh, times the size of what our sun would be. Then you have supermassive black holes or quasars. Those would be at the middle of the galaxies. And those are so powerful that they uh, cause in the entire galaxy. God has set them there for the entire galaxy to rotate. And when you think about that, those are millions to billions of times the size of our own sun. Okay, every galaxy has a supermassive black hole at the center of it. We'll look at some of those more in just a second here. The raw power from, power from one supermassive black hole causes the entire Milky Way to rotate. We cannot fathom how possible, how powerful those are. We've taken pictures and you can see the, the event horizon there from this x-ray uh, lens they have on there. Just absolutely fascinating when you look at that and we're not going to go into how they discovered it and all. Stephen Hawkins was very, very famous for his work on black holes, but even he said, we don't know. He looked, they looked at stuff and they said, well, perhaps it's, been, perhaps it's like, a, like a sheet and you put a ball on a sheet and it pulls down and that's what causes and then now, that's why well, they're not sure about that. We don't know. Listen, there's things our mind, when we look at creation, we cannot fathom. We just cannot fathom those things. So we look at that and we're in awe and wonder, like uh, Paul Dyrick said, we look at those things and we can see them and it's amazing, but we can't fully understand them. This is a crab nebula. Nebula is when a star explodes. Boom, it's better than any other firework show out there. A star, we believe that's massive, huge blue stars that explode, make gigantic nebulas. And then what they do is, it's believed that they collapse back on. Just like you hit the water, you slap your uh, hand on the water whenever your brother or sister in the pool right by them, so you'll splash them in the face. You slap that water really hard and it creates a void. Or you do a cannonball. That's a great example. You do a cannonball into the pool, then the water goes out and it comes back and hits you in the head real hard and that feels really good. So you do that and it creates a void and it comes back in and that's what we can see with uh, nebulas is that coming back in there. 1604, I believe it was, the Kepler star was um, discovered. That was an explosion. We have the Bug Nebula. All these are explosions. Just absolutely fascinating. You can see, zoomed in, close here just at these massive, massive explosions. The helio, uh, Helix Nebula is really cool because you can actually look on the outer bands and you can see it's starting to come back in on itself. So it's already started that process, which I think is fascinating. The Ant Nebula, these are all pictures you can go look up on the Hubble site. Um, just amazing. When you see this type of stuff, man, don't you wish people back in the day could have seen it? Imagine the people that, uh, uh, the, the technology we have to observe this is just amazing. We have the Cat's Eye Nebula, that's a beautiful one. We have, this is like the, some people call it the Worm Nebula, but it's the Nebula IC 4406. That's another neat one out there. All different types. 
There's the Elephant Trunk Nebula of 1396, and that is an extremely hot part of the universe that we don't know why it's hot, but from what we can tell, it's really, really hot, but we don't know why. Another thing here is interesting, some stuff, I'm just going through a couple of things that we don't understand, we don't know. One of my favorite um, uh, mysteries of the universe is this, V838 minus Herodotus. And this was a star that exploded, I believe it was in 2002. And it's only about 24,000 light years away, when I say only. Um, and what happened was, is we observed it explode. And this is what it is, this giant red star. And I want you to remember this picture, because I'm going to show you this in a second. This is the picture we took on April 30th, 2002. Well, what happened was, after it exploded, we're monitoring, looking at the star, and at, typically when you see that explosion, you'll see that nebula, it'll boom, go out, and you just have that bright center, and then it's gone. This actually exploded, had a shock wave, but it did not go away. It exploded and actually began to increase. This is May 2020, uh, uh, 2002. September. What we saw, we found out here by October, is that it was increasing in size. And what they said, their estimates were, it was increasing in size 10,000 times, that, that first little period, 10,000 times a day. That's how massive it was growing. Huge. Here's another picture we took in December. You can see how much larger it's getting. October 2004, there it is right there. It's rapidly growing. We've never seen a star that has grown like this. It doesn't make sense. Then we saw another explosion in November of 2005. When you think about how big Jupiter is compared to the Earth, they believe that several planets causing that explosion were around the size of Jupiter. And then you can see now it's 6,000 times brighter than our own sun. So if we look at it today, there it is. There it was before. The star is growing, right? Why? They don't know. We just don't know. But it's really, really cool. This is it compared to our solar system, okay? It's getting big. So you look at that and it's just, it's fascinating. When you see stuff of the universe, you go, how? We don't know, but we can observe it. We can't understand it, but we observe God's creation and it's just fascinating. Now, last, what we're going to look through here, we're going to cruise through this quickly, is we're going to look at how special our home is. And this is what we want to look at, how special our home is. Now, the first thing we see about how special the earth is, is we see the Goldilocks principle. You've probably heard this before. Goldilocks principle basically means that we're not too close to the sun to burn up, not far enough away from the sun to freeze. And this is something they've been looking for, NASA looks for, spends a lot of taxpayer money doing this. They look for another planet that is in a Goldilocks state where it could house or hold water. We have not found one. We've been looking and looking and looking and looking. We can't find one. Well, we think there's one, but it's covered, I can't remember the name of it, but it's covered with gas. And maybe in that gas, gas we believe is toxic, but below that, maybe there's water. Maybe there's an ocean on there. Because it's near a star, we have no idea. We've never found another planet like Earth. Earth is very, very specific, very, very important. Now, how many of you have ever heard of the Voyager 1 before? Or the Voyager 1? It's a, it's a pretty good story. On September 5th, 1977, the Voyager 1 left Earth. When it gets into orbit, this guy is traveling 28,000 miles an hour. Its goal was to take pictures of the planets, the inner planets there. It goes by, takes pictures. We send it out. It keeps on cruising. Uh, right now, it is roughly 138 AUs, astronomical units, from the Earth. And it's just keep, it's, it's cruising out there at an incredible rate. Now, whenever it was out there, I believe it was 19, uh, by December 1998, um, it had completed its voyage, and we let it go out into space. 
and it was out farther than any other man-made object had been before. December 2004, the Voyager hit something. NASA scientists did not know what to think, but it hit something that was there, but they could not see it. Now, we know George Lucas came up with the cool idea of the force field with the, the, um, the Death Star there, and you got the tractor beam. The force field stops things from coming in, even though you can't see it. Well, we obviously, that's science fiction, but we found out with the Earth, there was actually a type of a force field around our solar system and it blew everybody away. And whenever the Voyager hit it, boom, it hits it and it slows down and it's pushing through this. They're collecting this information over time, trying to figure out what this is. And what they named it was, is they named it the Helio Sheath. And what it was, is it was a force field that is several millions of miles thick. It took the Voyager until 2007 to pass through on the other side. So there's this force field. On the other side of that, they found debris and other stuff out there. Now, wait a minute. Why would that be there? It's protection of our solar system. We haven't seen that anywhere else. What on earth? We know the solar system's moving in space, but that is protecting us from moving in space. They found there was another type of uh, force field out there. We found the termination uh, shock here with the, the helio sheath, as that's called that as well. Then the heliopause, that is a second force field we saw. Upon scans, we found out there's a third force field, which is known as the bow shock. And that's even millions and millions of miles thick. Okay, It's interesting, too, another point to note out. Is there any wind in space? No, typically you go out there and you float around in the air. From scans and, taking, and studying and looking at all the different stuff, I'm going to go through the process. Outside of this, outside here, outside the Oort cloud, they have found that there are interstellar winds of over a million miles an hour. Debris is moving out there rather rapidly, but it's not coming into our special solar system. The fourth, fourth force field that they found was the Oort cloud, which is this um, interstellar uh, force field of debris and rock and meteors and all types of stuff protecting our home. So no other planet in the universe has this type of protection. God has four protective force fields around our planet. We don't see that anywhere else. Now, wow, that's interesting. How does that really affect me? Well, it doesn't naturally affect us that we can think of, but God's protecting our solar system. And even though we didn't know about it until recently, does that make it not so? No, it's always been there. If I protect my son, if I take care of my son, he's young, he doesn't understand, he doesn't know, does that mean that I'm not protecting him and I'm not helping him? No, the protection's still there. He just can't fathom that. And we can't fathom God's protection on us, on the special place that he made us. Now, quickly, before we jump into our very last thing, I want to show you something. Um, and here's another picture that I have there. I want to show you something here. Many of you probably have seen this before. Some people consider it to be the most incredible picture of all time. And what this is, and you're like, interesting, uh, it just died again. No, it did not die. Uh, this is actually a real picture, and this is from the Voyager. They pointed it back at the Earth, and they took a picture, and this is what came up. You have three little beams of light coming across, and you have the Earth right there in the corner. This is from NASA. They said, we pointed at it. That's it. The Earth, the picture of the Earth in the light passing by. You can see Earth, which no light comes from it and they're just blown away. And it took them something like 14 years to get this picture. Absolutely amazing. Now, is that cool? Yeah, I think it's cool. We turn it, point it back at the Earth. 
We get a picture of the earth. It just shows us how special God has given us this wonderful home that we call earth. Now, when we look at the galaxies, here we'll see whirlpool galaxies. Here's a couple of one real, real quick. We're going to look at a fascinating one. The Rose Galaxy, 300 million light years away, we believe. These are all real pictures. The Messier Galaxy, 25 million light years away. Sombrero Galaxy, that's one of my favorite ones. 31 million light years, 31.1 million light years away. Um, we see, and oh, my absolute favorite, other than our own, is the Black Eye Galaxy. And I told you about that. It's rotating against itself, but it's still um, holding true. I want you to consider something. When we look at the heavens and we see stuff like that and we're just blown away by it, I want you to consider this. I want you to consider John 14, 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. God, the creator of the universe, has been working on your mansion. We cannot fathom that statement when you think about it. I go to prepare a place for you. We look at this and go, my goodness, that's an incredible house that someone built there. What about the mansions that the Creator built? We can't, we can't imagine it. And then we look over in Isaiah 64.4. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waited for him. We go, I don't know, I can think of some pretty cool stuff. No, you can't. No, you can't. We cannot fathom what God has set up for his children. And the love of God to go, hey, listen, I know the world, I'm telling you, it's so small. I know this is a huge, that's problems. You've got all these other things going on. But if you'll just hang on, if you'll just serve me, if you'll just be faithful, you cannot fathom what I have set aside for you. If you could you're going to see this one day, but you have to believe in faith and you have to keep going, keep living your life, keep trusting in me. And God, he says here, we, from the beginning, since the very beginning, man cannot fathom. No mouth has said, no ears, no eyes have seen. We cannot fathom what God has set up for his children. Now, when you look at this, this is most people know this. It's the easiest thing to spot uh, in the night sky. And I'll help you here as it comes up. Orion. No, I'm just joking. That's the Big Dipper. So if you go out and find this, what you can do, it's the only galaxy you can see with the naked eye. You can probably see it tonight. So you go out and you find the handle right there and you keep going and there's this little cloud that's up there. It looks like a little cloud. If you zoom, that's actually a whirlpool galaxy. We zoom in there. It's the only galaxy that can be seen with the naked eye. That's 30,000 light years away. And it's so interesting, it's so unique because the galaxy is facing our Earth. It's not at a tilt. You can actually see the quasar directly inside of that galaxy. And you zoom in with the Hubble and you see the, they call them the pillars of creation and other stuff. You see these incredible things around that whirlpool galaxy. That's just fascinating. But when you zoom in, and you look at this quasar, this is the incredible discovery that they made that blew everybody away. This is the actual picture of the quasar inside of that whirlpool galaxy. And you have one of the only galaxies facing the Earth that you can see with the naked eye. And in the very center of that galaxy is a black hole in the shape of a cross. Some people call it an X. I call it a cross. Facing the Earth. And then we look at that. We didn't know it was there before, but it's always been there before. But then we read in Psalm where it says, 5711, Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. We read scripture like that. We make discoveries like these. 
it just blows our mind. Now, in light of all that, this is what's sad as I close. Another thing Alan Lightman said, he said, we are living in an accidental universe. We are living in a universe uncalculable by science. It's just an accident. We see fine-tuning, but it's just an accident. You know, the Bible has scripture for men like this. It says, where's the wise? In 1 Corinthians 1.20, where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Right over there, I showed you uh, um, Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins was asked what he would say if he ever met God. Dawkins pondered the question before he decided to quote Bertram Russell, a philosopher from the 1800s. He said, if I could meet God, I would say this, Sir, why did you take such pains to hide yourself? How sad is that? None so blind as those that won't see. And a man who looks at the heavens and goes, where are you, God? You're hiding yourself from me. Why did you hide yourself from me? If you cannot look at the stars, if you cannot look at creation and see God, it is not God hiding from you. It's you not wanting to see God. So what we do is we have to remember what I read before. You don't have to turn there, but in Colossians 1.17, He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. God is not hiding from you. God is not hiding from me. And we need to remember this as I close. Creation tells of a creator. You cannot help it. You cannot help but see it. Creation tells of a creator, and that creator tells us of a savior. And that's the most important thing of all and what we'll take a look at next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you, Lord, as we just look at some of the mysteries. Today was just a time to sort of glance through some of the stuff, discoveries we don't understand. Father, the whole point of all of this is that you understand. We see things. We can observe things. We, we have eyes. Father, we thank you for the gift of sight. And we can observe your creation. But Father, when man attempts to understand, that's when we get into trouble. And Father, there are people out there that look and look and look, but they don't see. Father, we pray that we'll never allow our heart to do that. Father, Satan has seen, we know, has seen it all and is still turned against you because of the sin of pride. Help us never to give in to pride. Help us always to be humbled in your presence. Father, help us to look to you, look to to all that you have for us. Father, we cannot imagine what you have set aside for your children. Father, I pray for the people out there who see, who look, Lord, but they don't see. People like Richard Dawkins. People who study this stuff daily and they still, no, no, it could be aliens, but it can't be you. Father, I pray you'll just convict them, turn them to you. Help us to be an outreach, Father. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to have life. We praise you, we praise your name. God, you are exalted above all, and we bow and we worship you in our hearts. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.